Hello and welcome to the next episode of The Prestige, a podcast about films, filmmaking and film theory. In each programme we'll focus on a particular movie, then let a theme develop out from our review or discussion or rant and see where that takes us. And as always we end with some recommendations based off this week's choice. But we're going to go for a more natural feel as we have in the past, more chatty, more easygoing. But to start with, who are we? I'm a writer and teacher. My name's Sam Knowles. I write about travel, race, representation, and you can read more about those in my first book, which was out last year. And I also write about comics and graphic novels. Last month, I had a book chapter on comics um, and the journalist Joe Sacco in the collection Postcolonial Comics. And one of my favourite things to do, if I have any spare time, is spend time on social media arguing about films with the second voice you'll hear, is one of my oldest and best friends, Rob Maythorn. And Rob is quite difficult to describe. Um, He is a whirlwind of creative activity. Photography, wedding, niche, general, editing, blogging, vlogging, gaming, cosplay, burlesque, writing, publishing, baking... Just listing these is tiring. It's very tiring doing it all as well, I'll say that. (laughs) And on top of that, he has a degree in film and a decade's experience in the film business. So that's why you should listen to him. So this week, guys, we're talking about the very recent release, Jurassic World. Now, this is my choice. I should probably open with a, a bit of a synopsis and my review of it. Essentially, Jurassic World is set 20 years after the original Jurassic Park film. In theory, Jurassic Park 2, Lost World and Jurassic Park 3 are canon in this world, but they aren't really mentioned much at all. Mm. And Jurassic World is now a fully functioning theme park with 20,000 visitors a day. It is all the the accoutrements of a normal theme park, but obviously with all these things, progress and there's always a demand for more. So they're starting to hybrid dinosaurs to sort of make them, gently engineer them into be bigger, faster, stronger, scarier and all that kind of thing. And obviously, as always happens in any kind of Jurassic Park film, it all goes wrong. Dinosaurs escape, people die, we have to run for survival. We've got four main characters we follow through this film. Owen, Claire, Zack and Grey. Zack and Grey are our kids, I suppose. Our, um, those are our, our avatars in this world. They're the kids who are new to it. We see everything kind of through their eyes. The, the awe is theirs that we, we follow. Mm. Claire is the operation manager. Um, who's basically in charge and a bit incompetent, I'd say, a lot of the time. And then Owen, played by Chris Pratt, is raptor trainer, badass dinosaur hunter as well. <laughs> yeah. But what will be slight spoilers in this because we're talking about the film as a whole. But that's kind of a good overview of where the film starts. Yes. From my point of view, I really enjoyed Jurassic World. I thought it was a good, fun film. Yes, I would say the script isn't any great shakes. I would say that some of the acting isn't amazing. I think that the storyline serves some of the characters very badly. And it's silly. It's it, it's silly and preposterous, and but fun. Yeah. I genuinely really enjoyed it. I've seen it twice now. Uh, I saw it once with my family and once with my wife. And I really enjoyed both experiences. I think that it's not going to be as, you know, it, it isn't as revolutionary as something like The Apartment wants to be. Or it isn't going to rock my world as something more heartfelt and serious is going to but it was a good, fun, blockbuster film that I had interesting effects, some interesting story, but ultimately a good, fun time. Yes, that that is the the word that appears most often in my review of this film is fun, in capitals, bolded, because it, it, that, that would be my, my summary of it. 
I know this franchise, or at least, well, as you were saying about um, second and third being canon or not, so at least the first and last movies means a lot to Rob for personal reasons, mm-hmm. and it means a lot to me because it means a lot to Rob, and for these reasons, and because I hate being a party pooper, contrary to uh, appearances, um, I don't want to be too negative about this. It was it was great fun. Um, there were some really really good bits, although the way you've presented Chris Pratt is like a bit of a cliche and he is a bit of a cliche throughout this film he is just so good that it doesn't matter it's laughable the the situation with him at the raptors at the beginning or situation where the, the, there's a pause to take in how cool Chris Pratt looks on a quad bike and it's mm. just it, it doesn't matter because he's brilliant I like some of the bits some of the more comic bits although this was like heavily geared towards 11 and 12 year old audience there were bits for the parents like you get that that inversion of something that would have happened in films like Jurassic Park where you have the two teenagers getting together and the ad and the adults seeing them and you have the opposite of that you have Zach looking on horrified when Claire and Owen spoiler alert get together I enjoyed things like that that were particularly knowing and not necessarily they they were more aimed at, at adults in the cinema. I enjoyed the callbacks to Jurassic Park with the park gates at the beginning and the mirroring scenes, the landscape and the pain dinosaur and the. I'm gonna get into that a lot in in my analysis. I think. Yes, yeah, and the whole the whole sequence in the ruins of the original park was was just enjoyably nostalgic. So yeah, just just enjoyable, just great fun. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I would echo what, like, what you said there. I think that all the characters are stock character cliches. You know, the bad guys are, like, comically bad. Mm. You know, it, not in a, like they're, they're, they're bad, but they are, they are sort of stock character trope bads. And Bradley Howard, she is, she is a stock uh, businesswoman who needs to you know, understand the love of family. Um, and as so you say, Owen is so badass. He's always right. He's earthy. He's everything. I would say that as much as I enjoyed this film, I don't think it's a patch on the original. No. I think, aside from my, just just to, to our listeners, Jurassic uh, Park is the first film memory I have ever seen. I went to see it with my dad and my little brother, and it's the first thing I ever remember seeing in the cinema, and I love it. Mm. I do genuinely think it's a good film, aside from my personal affection to it, but I don't think this captures that. I think Colin, who was director, did some great work. I think he's a little too in love with Spielberg as a director. And isn't as good as Spielberg. Mm. I think that there's some bits of it kind of come across as sort of fan fiction versions of Spielberg's films, but I do think that it is fun. Yes, yeah. I think that just because I just start to move towards the, the wider topic, the one word that really stuck out to me, and we've mentioned it a couple times here, is nostalgia. Mm. Yeah. A lot of this film really felt nostalgic. I think that there's, from my point of view, I'll, I'll, to be a, a long diatribe. There are several layers of nostalgia. I think internally to the text, there's nostalgia. One of the opening scenes is one of the characters with a Jurassic Park t-shirt. Which, yeah. A vintage t-shirt. Which is just brilliant. It's Yeah, I mean, it's exactly how it would write, it would work. And so then there's his nostalgia. And then you've got the kid, the little kid, Grey, 
when you first start seeing him, he's using a Viewmaster reel. Mm. I haven't seen a Viewmaster reel in years, and I collect VHS. You're like, <laughs> yeah. we get that shot of his room. He's got Polaroid cameras. Later on, he's using an old school film camera, and there's a lot of nostalgia in this general nostalgia in this film, but also nostalgia for the earlier films. As we said, got the T-shirt, got the whole scene when they when they find the first base, and the the jeep they repair is number twenty nine. There's a shot yeah, of the little it's, lanyard, it's the, ham, the ham and jeep. Ham and Jeep, and even things like the the sort of the main street of the park, they've got a Spinosaurus skeleton on one side, who was the 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 main antagonist of the third film. Oh right, I'm sure I saw the third film. I must have blocked it out. It it isn't great. One of the films has a Spinosaurus. It's one where they go to the other island. Yeah, I think that that is the third because that was the one that wasn't based on Crichton. Yes, yeah, yeah. Because two, they go back and hunt the T Rex, take it to New York. Yeah. It. and that's that's the one with you see the spine here in the water. So I've got that. I think there's also visually this is where sort of the film bit of me comes out. A lot of throwbacks to the first film. You got things like Claire Bryce Dallas Howard character who is dressed all in white, exactly as Hammond was in the first film. Mm. You've got a scene when she kind of she decides, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm not going to be that person, I'm going to be the hardy person who finds her, her, finds her nephews, and she rips open her shirt and does it a little knot, just like Ellie Sadler from the first film. Yeah. You've got the shots of the helicopters flying through the valleys on Isla Nuba, just like the first film. Mm. You've got the scene where the kids are attacked in the sphere, the, 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 the glass sphere, which is very reminiscent of the attack on the van in the first one, the T-Rex. Yeah. You've got the Gallimimus running up the field. Like, there's a lot of visual sort of references back to that first film. Mm. I've got a note here for doors, but I've no idea what that meant. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, the, the big the, the big Jurassic Park gates. Yes. Yeah. Uh, which they even say were made from the remnants of the first gate. Yeah. Uh, so I think there's a lot of nostalgia running through this. And even things like there's a shot when blood falls on a guy's wrists. Mm. Two, two drops of blood fall, and one runs off and one does nothing. Which is, from my point of view, a clear throwback to the first film with uh, Dr. Malcolm um, and his water theory, where he drops two drops of blood on, on Sadler's arm and one runs away and one doesn't. Mm. So there's a lot of visual links back to that first film. Mm. I think sometimes that doesn't serve it well. I think it's a film a little too in love with the first film. Yeah. I think also there's a another level of nostalgia of theme parks. I think they really nailed the feel of a theme park. Mm. And most of us have memories of theme parks from when we were kids. Yeah. And I think that watching it for me, I, I was nostalgic for my childhood of going to theme parks and having petting zoos and having balloons made of dinosaurs. Like all that kind of sort of stuff that comes with theme parks. I thought there was, like with me, brought out some nostalgia for that sort of that experience. Your thoughts? I was interested by what you're saying about it being a bit too in love with the first film. And I think you're right about this this sort of fan fiction attitude to, to Spielberg. Because, well, even even the... the I, I always go back to the music and things like this. Um, but the music, the opening music is... And let's, let's, let's turn off our listeners in droves. It's an inverted minor modulation of the Jurassic Park theme. And I'm the nerd on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but but even even things like that, things like you said, visually and musically and narratively, and everything about this film is is a little bit too close to the original. And I wonder, mm. does does that ever work? Can you think of an occasion where that that actually does work? To put you on the spot, uh, I can't. I think that 
the the, the reboots or the the long term sequels that come out. I'm trying to think of one where they they kind of they they nail that level of throwback versus new story. I'm staring at my wall of DVDs now and trying to pick up one that uh, that grabs me, but I can't think. I think it, it, it's a very tough line to tread. We touched on some of this when we talked about the um, our very first episode talking about sequels. Mm, yeah. Um, and that balance of the first film versus the new film. In many ways, the longer of the gap between those two films, the harder that gets to be. Because, like, a lot of us, especially people our age, I'm, I'm 32, but Jurassic Park is a large part of my growing up. That's a actual moment for my growing up. And mm. we're the market. We're the ones with disposable income and they're, they're hit with these films. I think there's a, there's a lot built into that kind of, that throwbackness, but I can't think of one that, that got it right. I, I was thinking when we were talking about nostalgia, although it's definitely it's this is this is a non answer to my own question because it's not a sequel, but I like the way I thought it was very clever the way Guardians of the Galaxy used nostalgia mm. and used elements of pop culture. Yeah, I I I, I would I'd agree with I mean it's probably like a Pratt film. Oh yeah, yeah. But I do think I I would say that you're right that it feels eighties but also modern. Mm. I think that's I think that's, a, that's a good call. I think that aside from the nostalgia, it's an ongoing theme in a lot of the Jurassic Park films. But that of hubris, yes, and control. And I think there's a very very telling moment in this film that I noticed only the second time round. There's a bit where Claire and Owen are fighting, they're fighting over something. Something's happened, um, and she yells at him, "You're not in control here." Yes. Now, to me, the natural thing to say there is you're not in charge here. Mm. And in every other film is you aren't, you aren't the one in charge here. That's the big thing she shakes. But here is you're not in control here. And I think that's a telling moment because I think a lot of this film is about control. Claire, at the start of the film, feels like she's in control. She, she's almost so confident and she's locked down. And there's a, a, a line where about the date that Owen and Claire went on where she bought itinerary. Mm. Yeah. I mean, yes, I think it can be a bit... I think Claire's served badly by this film. Oh, yeah. I think there's an element of her control there that, and then obviously that breaks down. And then you've got InGen themselves when they try and sort of take, they're the ones pushing for the Raptors to be used as uh, out in the field where they think they can control it and they can't. I, I think this is, this is kind of like when we were talking, one of the things that a film like Shaun of the Dead gets so right is that you were talking about a few weeks ago that Shaun of the Dead knows about zombie film tropes mm. and in this film people don't know that you're never in control in a dinosaur film yes like when claire pretends to have well thinks she has that control at the beginning she's in charge of a park full of dinosaurs of course she's not in mm. control and even like pratt's character who is almost like they say the hero of the film the first time he gets these these dinosaurs, these wrapped out in the field he loses control mm. as soon as as soon as they meet another another dinosaur he loses completely, and he is on about the fact that they aren't, they aren't as a relationship rather than control, but he still tries to control them. Yes, if you see what I'm saying. And I think that there's a, a lovely there's the whole thing about genetic engineering, and the idea that they can control, they can play god and make dinosaurs, and it'll all be okay. But I do think that there's this, through all the films the idea of hubris that somehow as humans we have this kind of control over the world, mm. and there's a bit with Masrani, the owner of the park. Who I thought was brilliant. I thought he, I really enjoyed him as a character. Mm. He has this kind of he's talking about why why the park. He wants to run the park, and he says, you know, it's because I want to remind people how small we are. Yes, 
his actions then kind of negate that view down the line. But I do think that there's a that one of the more, more messages of Jurassic Park is like we're small. These things are the perfect killing machines spread over millions of years. Yeah, and the idea that somehow we can come along and control them is just stupid. To to stick with with Chris Pratt, that was something I've only I just thought of going what you just said that there is something in the it, we don't have to give too many spoilers away that there's something in the naming of the raptors in which he presents himself as in control. Mm. Yet at the same time he says, oh, I'm not in control, they're in control, it's just a relationship. And you think, well, yeah, but you've just negated that because what you've done, how you've named them, says differently. Exactly. And that's a, it's a similar thing with, with Maserani, with, like you said, with his actions being sort of overblown in comparison to this thoughtful comment about the park. I, I think it, it took me the second viewing to realise that the raptor names are... B C D E. Yes. I, I, I first time around, I think because it's Blue Charlie Delta Echo. I think the the reason it does that is because there there's a slight a bit of narrative trickery about it because it doesn't want you to immediately think oh these these are these 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 are names of the alphabet these are native phonetic alphabet so it doesn't use beta and if it used beta then you'd probably get it immediately. But it doesn't want you to think about it like that, so it changes beta to blue, and then and then you find out later on. And he has got a blue sort of streak down his body as a raptor, so I think that's almost a narrative trick as well, because they say he's the beta, and then he's blue. So when it comes to the end of the film, when you've got the sort of the fights breaking out, you can tell which one he is. You have sharper eyes than me, because I was just lost in a blur of of dinosaur flesh. I think that as we kind of touched on there, and before we move on. I think that Claire's character particularly is badly served by this film. It feels from the original Jurassic Park we had two female leads, one of which was a teenage kid who was instrumental in saving the day with her hacking skills. And then you've got the uh, Ellie Sattler who is in control. She is witty, she is funny, she is beautiful, she is a whole human being. Mm. It was quite saddening to see, A, in this film, we've got three named sort of female characters. The two two smaller ones are the assistant and the technician. The assistant who is horrible, quite from, from day one. The technician who is only really there to for one joke at the end of the film. I've completely forgotten who the assistant, which the British assistant, yeah, who looks after the kids for the first two, who, as a quick aside, dies in quite a horrible manner. Yeah, it almost felt like a for me a throwback to a different film or a different version of this film, where like they wanted us to hate her more than I did. Yeah. If you see what I'm saying. It, it felt strange that this... I don't know whether there was more of her character in an earlier cut, but generally in these films they punish the bad guys. And she didn't seem like a, much of a bad person. No, and she... The only bad thing she does is neglect her duties looking after the boys, but that's not really her fault. That's Claire's fault for being a dick. Like, yeah. you're right, it seemed completely incommensurate with... Maybe there's another cut of the film where... She's the evil genius. Yeah, it, it just seemed strange. The other one is the technician. Mm. I say who only really exists for like a a joke at the end, which a is the I mean, like the joke is kind of that the, the, the male technician goes there's a big sacrifice. I'll stay here and look after the park. Makes the move to kiss, and she's like, whoa, oh, have a boyfriend. And it's a funny joke, and it's a nice inversion on that trope of the hero gets the girl. Mm. But it is quite something that character only exists the entire film for that one joke. 
and that one joke is about her availability for sex. Yeah. Also, there's there's one other character that you missed out, a female character. The the mother of Zach and Grey only exists to fulfil this trope of a mother. And her conversations with her husband and with Claire are only ever about her relationship with the boys. Yes. And she only exists in the film to be able to say to Claire, you'll understand when you've got kids. That's That's it. That bleeds into Claire herself, who I don't. I am an R because obviously she does through the film become badass. She does sort of get agency at a certain point, but the film does punish her for not being motherly. Mm. Her arc is about learning to be a mother, and that that was something that I and we can go back to gender politics in a minute. But that was something that I didn't like about Zach's character because. His narrative arc was that of someone learning to be a better older brother, mm. and it was just fairly obvious, and I didn't like it. Yeah, I think that you look at the original film. Obviously, the original film had about Grant learning to be a dad, mm. and I, I saw the echoes of that storyline here. But you've got Claire, who a and we won't touch on that could have been dealt with to death everywhere else, runs in heels the entire film. But she is that trope of a woman who chose career over kids and suffers for it mm. ultimately she's a massive success she she runs what clearly is the world's biggest theme park yeah but somehow because she can't remember how old her nephews are that person no i'm not a liar i've got three cousins i don't know how old they are <laughs> exactly i could probably work it out but if you ask me off hand <laughs> i wouldn't know <laughs> sorry if you're listening guys i don't know it felt a step backwards having seen films recently like mad max which really kind of did a lot for in the politics yes. of its human characters this felt particularly her character like well she needed a man to save her at all times she needed a man to show her how to feel she needed kids to uh, teach how to be a whole person mm. and it just felt that she was being punished for her previous life of not being a mother or a lover there there is something in that right at the very end of the film i can say this without saying anything about the scene because it's just generally about um, her and owen and that reminded me very much of the final scene of classic cult mid-90s hit Speed. Mm. Because it's exactly like the Keanu Reeves Sandra Bullock interaction at the very end of that. And that felt totally appropriate for a film off the top of my head which came out in 94. That felt like a bizarre throwback. And it felt like a throwback to a time, as you said, where... The role of of a woman is defined in a particular way, and it felt it was a bit disappointing for me that aspect of the film. I suppose that's it. It felt weirdly nineties. Some of the the characterization and politics here, and I do think that, and this kind of bit more of a review. I felt that both Pratt and Howard were badly served by the characters. Like Pratt, Pratt's power, his star power, is that kind of knowing wink. You look at him in Star Lord. And he's an action hero, certainly, but it's kind of it's tempered with his his personality and his fun uh, sort of nature. Mm. And there was none of that here. No, there was no jokes from him. You know, there was none of that. And I can see him wanting to kind of be a be an action hero and not be the jokey one. It was it was a little bit jokey at the very beginning, and that scene where she comes to see him in his trailer. But I, I see what you mean. It like very quickly he just becomes. Evil action hero. I've seen um, Bryce Dallas Howard in other things, and she can be very good. She's a very good actress. But you just felt like she was wasted on this. Just while on that, I would say a lot of the side characters are very good. I really enjoyed Masrani. 
as as the park's owner and i really enjoyed i think it's jake johnson as the uh, technician the t-shirt owner the t-shirt owning with the glasses i thought he was mm. very i enjoyed him a lot in the film so i think there's a, a lot of good in there but there were some bad with some of the main characters I, I agree with you about the technician. I thought, in particular, that that T-shirt scene was brilliant. And with Bryce Dallas Howard saying, that's inappropriate, don't wear it again. And you think, well, why is it inappropriate? It's inappropriate because a lot of people died because of the act of hubris that you're committing right now. So it, it's like the moral of this film is bound up in this guy's T-shirt. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll buy that one. <laughs> I would say it was another sort of thread that ran through it that I've, in the previous films I haven't seen it written as quite as large as this, is its anti-science rhetoric. Interesting. How do you mean? On the two, the two sides of, of the band, you've got the good guys and the bad guys. The bad guys in this film are the, the scientist who B.D. Wong plays, mm. uh, Dr. Wu, who's a bad guy and he's very much the science side of things. Your hero, Chris Pratt is very much low tech he has a clicker to control the raptors mm. you see him you see him fixing a bike when he needs to escape from the indominus rex he covers himself in oil yeah he's very earthy and then the evil side of it is the scientist or the industrial military complex in ingen almost always the salvation of the characters is low tech yeah i see so you mean the the scientists see them as they're they are creations of science and technology and they are their property and Chris Pratt is the one who says no they're animals and they're sort of the earth like me and I understand them so I see what you're saying and spoiler alert just we'll jump ahead 10 seconds this the final scene is when the T-Rex comes and fights the main dinosaur that's that's how they save the day is they bring back the dinosaur from the first film mm. All their science, all their technology, everything they have from these these like uh, net guns and these like spark guns, none of it saves the day. The only thing that saves the day are the decision of fixing a car saves the day. Uh, covering yourself in oil saves the day. Hiding, running away, getting another dinosaur, that's what saves the day. At no point does any technology or science save the day. Science is a thing ruining the day. Interestingly, on that, what what actually saves what what gets the the t-rex to the battle is something that's fundamentally discredited by science which is that t-rexes respond to movement and color so and it was some it was a it was a flawed bit of bit of science that dr that ian malcolm plays on in in the first film and so the this saving the day element at the end of this film comes out of a misunderstanding of science. I would say that I think that there's a, a a great bit of filmmaking bit when Doctor Wu says, you know, we've always filled in gaps in their um, DNA with other uh, other DNA. Nothing here looks like it should, which I think is a lovely kind of catch-all for you know the fact that people now think dinosaurs had feathers and all that sort of thing. It was a wonderful a bit of script writing to kind of well, well you know nothing here is real. Everything is fair game. Mm. I thought that was a, like a, a very interesting little that made me smile because it's like you just covered your asses there, but I like it. Yeah, I think that that that's a a lot you can say about this film is that it's it's a lot of fun and it's not accurate in any way. Yeah, I, I would. I mean, I would say that the film is passable in all aspects. Mm. You know, the, the visual effects are passable. They 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 didn't rock my world like the original ones did. The characters are passable. Yes, there are some old, shall we say, uh, gender politics, but they aren't terrible. It's not like 
other films of that come out are terrible. They're not terrible. They're all right. The characters are right. I mean, the little Moppet is annoying. Mm. Grey. But I think little Muppets are always annoying. Yeah. And the, 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 the nostalgia is passable. It's a little too much to say, but it's okay. It's just the film felt okay with all these things. Obviously, one, one of the comparisons to the first film that we, we haven't actually talked much about, um, although the thing you could talk about a lot, is the scene with Owen squatting over uh, fatally wounded uh, Brachiosaurus? Yeah, but and that and that calls back to two scenes from the original, and that's it's fairly obviously the the Triceratops scene with Elise Adler at the beginning, but also when the camera moves back and pans over the the ridge and you see the the valley, that felt like a bit of an echo of seeing the valley for the first time in the first film mm. and seeing the dinosaurs for the first time and you see these I mean, this is not a spoiler at all this is from the trailer but you see the the carcasses strewn across the valley compared to like the 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 animals moving freely in in the first film the reason that moment is powerful and why it's used is that in that first film our moment of awe and wonder is the um, Brachiosaurus. That's the moment. That, that's the most infamous moment of that first film. That's the swell of music is seeing this Brachiosaurus. Yeah. And to then kill that. Yeah. Rather than anything else, that that's a killing that one dinosaur that we've that we have a, a emotional connection to. I think is a um, a good bit of filming, but also once again a throwback to that original film. And I think that's where it kind of say it lives in that shadow of that first film. And it can't quite break out of that. Although you would argue for for, for clueless on on this, I think that that moment is my turning point in contemporary cinema history. Is that scene from the very beginning of Jurassic Park in '93? I, I I would agree. I think that that moment is one of the moments when, personally for me, I realised films could do anything. Mm. Everybody in the cinema knew it was not real. There was no fooling anybody that it was real. But every single person who saw that believed it. Yeah. And it was strange with this film, somehow the Indominus Rex doesn't seem real. No. I don't know whether you used to CGI or whatever, but that was clearly a creation and it didn't feel like a real item in a way that the Brachiosaurus did in that first film. So, recommendations. Recommendations. I've got one for this week. Um, as I've, 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 been, I've been greedy having two or three for the last couple of weeks. And this is a film that didn't do very well when it came out but I want people to give it a second chance. And that's a film called Super 8. Right. Super 8 came out about four years ago, and it's J.J. Abrams essentially doing a Spielberg monster movie. A, some sort of alien crash lands in a small town in America, and it's about these kids trying to escape and survive and all that kind of thing. And I think for me, that was one of the sort of the films I th- thought about when thinking about Jurassic World. It's a monster movie, really. It's not a deep treatise or anything else. It's a, it's a fun monster movie. And because it's basically another director trying to mimic the Spielberg style, I believe Spielberg was a producer on it and a producer on this. So his hand is at work there. But it was another producer trying to do a Spielberg thing. I think they miss some of the points in the same way they have in the world. But I think it's an interesting film in that kind of respect. Well, I have two recommendations for this week, although one is a non-recommendation. So I've only really got one this week. Um, Fair enough. It's a it's a film released the month after the original Jurassic Park, and it was also based on a Michael Crichton novel. It's called Rising Sun, 
and it was it was starring Sean Connery, Wesley Snipes, and a bunch of other forgettable people. This sounds amazing already. And it's a it's a murder mystery, and it's set during a corporate party at the LAHQ of a fictional Japanese company. Does this sound familiar? And actually, it, it, it's even called Nakamoto. Wow. It's almost Nakatomi. And I have to confess, I'm not 100% convinced I've seen the film. This may be a, I caught some of this on late night TV. Fair enough. Fell asleep. I've read the novel and it's really good. And, well, all, all Crichton's good. In fact, another like mini recommendation away from film would be to go and read the original Jurassic Park, which is a great book. Very different film, very nuanced in a way that the film can't be and better on science hmm. um, certainly better on on Ian Malcolm's character and so my my, my non-recommendation of this week then is uh, the, the more I think about this the more I think Jurassic World isn't so bad because my my non-recommendation is another fourth film in the franchise 20 plus years after the last and it combines total reboot with a continuation of a story so if Jurassic World wasn't your thing just think it could have been worse it could have been Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of Crystal Skull we don't talk about that film <laughs> okay now, okay I, I have a low threshold for films I watch you know I, 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 I have a pre- pretty low bar for films I enjoy but my god that was terrible <laughs> Should have just stayed in the fridge. <laughs> <laughs> That's my theory. He died at that point, and this is this is his mind's last last gasm of, of <laughs> yes. thought as he burns up. So, Sam, next week is your choice for a film. What's it going to be? Yes, and next week I would like to see Denzel Washington Flight. Ooh. Although, appropriately enough, I'm going holiday next weekend on a plane, um, so. <laughs> yeah, maybe I shouldn't shouldn't have picked this film, but for this reason, we'll have to take a bit of a break. Otherwise, it'll just be Rob talking to himself. Well, we should be back soon with that, guys. Till then, I would recommend Jurassic World. It's a good, fun film. Remember, do get in touch with us on those Twitters. The best way, yes, um, at, at Prestige Podcast, and Rob is. I'm at Kaiju Industries. I am at life underscore academic come there tell us we're wrong but mainly rob because he is spiral terrible see you soon see bye bye the prestige is a kaiju industries production check out their other work at facebook.com forward slash kaiju industries Rawr. Arr.